You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Get your Bible open to the book of Acts. I will meet you there in just a moment. This is the final message in the Help series where we have been studying the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I've told you from the beginning, our goal is not just to study about the Holy Spirit, but it is to experience the Holy Spirit. My desire for this series is that we would be a Spirit-led, Spirit-driven church. It is not enough just to open our Bibles, read our Bibles, and teach our Bibles. We need to have an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit whereby we actually hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. That's what it's all about today as we conclude this series, how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Now, I realize that I touched a nerve last week in the church. Some of you blew a circuit. And I got all kinds of affirmation and a lot of email. Let me share with you one email I got from a young lady in our church. She said, in my childhood, I saw and heard stories of the divine signs of the Holy Spirit. My grandpa was miraculously healed after 25 years during a revival meeting. How many of you believe that God can still heal somebody after 25 years of suffering from something? I believe that. He goes on and she goes on and says, My grandparents' marriage was miraculously saved by the only explanation being the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe God can turn a marriage around and miraculously get it back to where it needs to be? She says, All of this was happening while my grandfather was a pastor. She goes on to say, prior to his healing and marriage being reconciled, he was a cessationist, not believing that God could heal people and turn marriages around. But that all changed when he experienced the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. She says, I've tried always to find the right balance in myself, being taught in a Baptist Christian school, but experiencing more of a charismatic style and belief in my grandfather's church as a child and then in the college ministry I was with. She said, but I could never quite seem to get the balance right. I could never find the right scripture or the words to explain it until last week when it all began to make sense. Well, I don't know if any of it makes any sense rationally, but I hope that we are coming to some balance on understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to talk about the Spirit speaking. It is the normal, everyday occurrence of a Spirit-filled Christian to be led by the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say the voice of the Holy Spirit... Let me clarify what I'm saying. It does not mean necessarily that every day you're going to hear an audible sound in your ear. But it doesn't mean that you might not hear that. I was helped by Sam Storms this week as I was reading his book. And uh, he said, sometimes I hear the internal audible voice of the Holy Spirit. Does that help you? It's like, yeah, I really can't explain what that means. I don't even know if it's words or concepts or thoughts or leanings or desires, but the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so we're going to see that here in the book of Acts, especially this morning. Let's just begin with this point. The Holy Spirit speaks. Now, we've been saying that all along. We began this whole series with the teaching of Jesus that he gave to his disciples. He was going away and he says, fellas, I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm sending a helper. 
remember in John 14, John 16, he tells us what the Holy Spirit's ministry would be. He is teaching me. He is reminding me of the words of Jesus. He is guiding me into all truth. When I first got saved and folded into a church, I remember they would have a different old man pray every week before the offering. I don't know why that was the qualification, but I see nodding heads out there. You were in the same church, apparently. And apparently they taught these guys that the way you conclude your prayer is always by using the same three words. Lord, would you lead, guide, and direct us? Did your guys have the same script? Yeah. Now, I thought that that was like the mandatory language of an old guy leading prayer in a church. I found out later that's what you say when you're out of words and don't have anything else to say in a prayer and you're looking for a landing strip. Now, the Holy Spirit, his whole job is to lead, guide, and direct. And whether you ever pray that, it's not a bad prayer, but if you ever pray that or not, that's exactly what he's doing in the life of every spirit-filled Christian. And so he's doing this because that's what, the Holy, that's what Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to do. The New Testament describes what the normal everyday experience of the Spirit-filled believer is with the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians chapter 5 that we are to walk by the Spirit. At the end of that chapter, it says we're to stay in step with the Spirit. The implication is there's relationship happening. There's conversation happening as you walk with Him. You are to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. We've already sung it here today. We set our minds on you. Some of us aren't hearing the Holy Spirit because our minds are set on so many other things. It's a command. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Notice, the rational part of you is to be leaning into the spiritual part of you and the Holy Spirit where He dwells inside of you. We are to be led by the Spirit, Romans chapter 8. All who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, he says. And we are to listen to the voice of the Spirit. You say, well, I know that was probably part of the apostles' age and all that stuff that happened in Acts, but you just can't really expect the Holy Spirit to speak to you now in our day. I mean, that kind of faded away, right? Do you notice where that verse is located? The last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, speaking to the churches, do you know what he says? He says, let him who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the Spirit is speaking. Now I realize this is controversial, a lot of people abuse this, and more damage has been caused in the church after the phrase, God told me, than any other phrase. And yet there's a lot of damage done by people that discount and don't listen to the Holy Spirit and reduce their Christian experience just to simply reading concepts about the Holy Spirit. Now, with all of those things said, let me tell you something about my wife, Andrea. If you ask Andrea, why did you marry Trent? She will look you in the eye and she said, God told me to. Now, Early in our marriage, this really used to offend me because I was under the assumption that she married me because of my good looks and my charm and my irresistible romance that broke down her defenses and drew her heart to me in a lifelong covenant love relationship. That's not why she married me. And the older I get, the more grateful I am. 
as the good look fades and I become more selfish. And now I'm so glad that not only she she married me, but she stays married to me because God told her to marry me. I asked her, like, what, what do you mean when you say that? She said, I didn't hear an audible voice. If you look back at that time where we met and began to develop our relationship, I'm telling you, she was spending hours every day in the presence of Jesus, in the word, in prayer, journaling, and through all of that disciplined process, do you know what happens? The Holy Spirit speaks. It's remarkable how that happens. And so I'm so glad that God still speaks. And she didn't marry Butch. So um, there's... There's all kinds of different ways the Lord leads us. So we're going to dive into the book of Acts here. Now, let me just kind of warn you up front. Um, we're going to skip a rock across the top of Acts here. And I'm going to preach the entire book of Acts here in the next 30 minutes or so. And uh, we're going to start here in chapter one. Now, just diving into this, I want you to look. First of all, before you look at, at any verses, just look at the title. In your Bible, in your printed Bible, what title did they print for the book of Acts? On the count of three, tell me what it is. One, two, three. The Acts of the Apostles. Can I just tell you, first of all, that's not inspired. Some man just wrote that in there so that when the preacher said open to the book of Acts, you could find it. But really, if we were to relabel it, here's a better title for the book of Acts. The activity of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles. That's a better title. This book is not about apostles. It is about the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, this book is written by a scientist a medical doctor, his name was Luke, and this very scientific, rationally oriented guy writes all kinds of mystical stuff that happened as the activity of the Holy Spirit as he spoke in and through the book of Acts. You need to ask the question, and as we read Acts, is Acts descriptive of the activity of the Holy Spirit? Or is it prescriptive of the activity of the Holy Spirit? You know what I mean? I mean, is this just some history book? This is the way the Holy Spirit worked in the first century? Or is this something we could expect the Holy Spirit to be doing in our century? So is it prescriptive or descriptive? The answer is yes. I think that there are some things in the book of Acts that are one time in history events that will never be repeated again. And yet this is giving us a pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And, you know, when we're seeking direction from the Holy Spirit, it, we need a proper understanding. Back in the era that I grew up in, in the 70s, when you're a little kid in the 70s, we didn't have all this technology where you could get your questions answered by Siri or Google, or Alexa. I mean, you've got all these advantages. What we had, we had this very primitive piece of technology called the Magic 8-Ball, okay? <laughs> How many of you had a Magic 8-Ball, right? I mean, you could go to this thing with the deepest questions in your heart, you know? Is Susie, does Susie like me? And it would pop up. Well, all signs point to yes. And you could shake it, and you could say, are the Cubs going to win the... World Series, and it would pop up, not likely. <laughs> and then you could shake it, and you could say, is it Yanny or Laurel? And it would pop up, and it's like, I don't know. So, I mean, we do not need to treat the Holy Spirit like a magic eight ball. 
the Holy Spirit is probably not going to give you intimate, detailed plans about what you should have for lunch today, okay? Um, th we, the big questions to us are little questions to Him. Um, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to school? What's my job going to be? Those are little questions. What the Holy Spirit speaks to us about is about doing the work that Jesus started doing and should continue in each one of us. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, if you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, if you are expressing fruit of the Holy Spirit, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you to be on the mission of the Holy Spirit. It's what we're going to see here in the book of Acts. And so... Uh, let me show it to you here in uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Now, before we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, we're going to hear the voice of Jesus in Acts chapter 1. Jesus says this, And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Everybody underline the word wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Now, the promise was going to be this Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised it back in John chapter 14, John chapter 8, John chapter 16. Now he's saying, you're going to get this promise. Verse 5, he says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the end of the earth. Let me tell you the context in which Jesus is saying this. This is 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has appeared to 500 people. Now he's gathered his disciples on a mountainside and he's about to say, see ya. And this is the point at which they're going to need some help. And he's like, guys, I'm leaving but I want you to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. This is 40 days after the resurrection. So they go into wait mode. Now this is hard for the disciples. He's already given them the great commission, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and teaching them to obey everything I've said. He wants them to make disciples. So these guys are raring at the gate like a racehorse ready to go. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. The gate's not open yet. There's one more thing you need. He says, wait, you need power. And then Jesus leaves. Day one, day two, day three, they're still waiting. Four, five, six, they're still waiting. A week, they're waiting. Day eight, day nine, day 10, Look at chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1. Ten days after Jesus had said, wait. Fifty days after his resurrection. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Do you see the word Pentecost there? Very significant word. The word Pentecost means 50th. 50th what? 50th day after Passover. Jesus was crucified at Passover. 
So they have waited 50 days. It's now Pentecost. The word Pentecost is another word for a Jewish festival that was celebrated annually around the time of the harvest. In the Old Testament, this was called the Feast of Weeks. How many weeks? Seven weeks. Now, I know it's hard to do math on Sunday. But if you've got seven weeks and each week has seven days, how many days do you have? Forty-nine. And the day after is Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover, which resulted in 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, he told them to wait. And on the day of Pentecost, something significant happened. Now, by the way, does anybody know what today is? What's the date today? May the 20th. Do you know what this is? This is Pentecost Sunday. We are 50 days after Passover, 49 days after the resurrection. This is Pentecost Sunday. It's a day that in the church calendar, a lot of churches make a big deal about this. Maybe we should make a little bigger deal about this because this is a very significant event. And so on this first Pentecost, the first feast after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, if you are from Oklahoma, you know exactly what they are talking about. All right. Now, this is a tornado. And there was this sound. It sounded like a freight train. And here it comes, something significant to get their attention. And it says it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse 3, And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Tongues of fire. You actually have two word pictures there that are trying to communicate something. All right, first of all, I mean, everybody knows what a tongue is. It kind of flops around, flatters around. All right, so a picture, it's kind of a humorous thing. Picture a tongue on top of your head, not coming out of your mouth, but on top of your head. It's flapping around there, but it's fire. It's just a word picture, just like a campfire. You know how fire kind of licks? The fire licks. So get it? Tongue, lick, get it? So that's, that's what's going on on top of these. The, the fire is licking on top of their heads. Now, as, as humorous as that is for us, <laughs> that got their attention. Notice the fire was on each one of them. 120 of them gathered in a room. That was the membership of the early church. And each one of them had fire licking off the top of their head. Now, in the Old Testament, when you saw fire from heaven, that was a scary thing. Because the fire represented God's purity, His holiness. The fire consumed, it burned up things that were impure. There was a point at which the fire burned up 3,000 people because they were wicked and idolatrous and rebellious to the Lord. And so the fire in the Old Testament was fatal. But here we have fire for the first time resting on each individual Christian. Not in one place in the temple where you kind of had to go and see it, but each individual Christian now had this fire not taking life, but giving life. And the reason that the fire could give life 
is because 50 days earlier, the fire of God had taken the life of Jesus. The, the holiness of God consumed the sin of every believer through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And because the fire of God's fury fell on Jesus, the fire of God's rest could fall on each individual. It was now a fire that, that was the light of the world. It was the fire that created warmth and presence. It created an energy and a life-giving spirit. That's what was happening there in verse 3. And then verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Why did they start speaking in other languages? Because of verse 5. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What was happening? It was very simple. This was the first proclamation of the good news of Jesus. Death, burial, and resurrection that was being preached for the first time to all nations. Do you get it? The first time the gospel was preached, it was preached to every nation. Jesus told them in Acts 1.8, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And yet what he did at the beginning was brought people from the ends of the earth to Jerusalem to get the whole process started. As we talk about the Holy Spirit speaking, do you understand what the Spirit is speaking? If you are not a believer, if you've not yet trusted Christ, there is one thing the Holy Spirit wants you to hear today. Here it is. Are you listening? Repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. That's the only thing you need to hear. That's what these unbelievers were hearing for the first time from these that were filled with God's Spirit. Now, if you are a believer and you've already surrendered your life to Jesus, there is one thing the voice of the Spirit is trying to communicate to you this morning. Here it is. Fulfill the Great Commission. Get busy getting the gospel right and getting the gospel out and do it all without sinning. Everything the Holy Spirit is going to tell you is going to come through that message. Do the work of the Great Commission without sinning. At times, you start sinning, the Holy Spirit's going to start speaking. Like, don't do that. You're blowing the mission. If you start sitting around and enjoying your little comfort zone, the Holy Spirit's going to say, get up and get going. That is the message, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit through a Spirit-filled believer. The story continues. Verse, look at verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these speaking Galileans? And yet each of us is hearing in his own language. He lists all the places that they've come from. I mean, look at the Medes and the Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia. And he keeps going. Look down at verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, in other words, Jews and non-Jews, Cretans and Arabians... We hear them telling in our own tongues and the mighty works of God. 
the mighty works of God is what you've already heard this morning. That Jesus died on that cross in your place as a substitute for sin. He absorbed the fire and the fury of God so that you wouldn't have to. That's the mighty works of God. And then in verse 11, in verse 12, it says, They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Can I tell you that since they've asked that question, nobody's really been able to answer it. What does all this mean? Do you see the two words in that verse? Amazed and perplexed. I am so glad those two words are there. It frees me as a preacher from having to clear up all the perplexity that there is about the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Perplexity is not the enemy of amazement. There should exist in the life of every spirit-filled believer both amazement and perplexity. We know that he speaks. We're just not quite sure how we know these things. The Bible's real clear that he speaks, but it doesn't give us a lot of detail on how it happens. So I want to give you um, the, the next point. I want to give you the, the next question. Here it is. How does the Holy Spirit speak? And again, we're going to try to answer this with amazement and perplexity. We've already seen part of it here. Now listen, the only way I know how to answer a question like that is to go to the Bible. I'm a Bible guy, so you ask me a question about the Bible, I just kind of have to look through the pages of the Bible and find some stuff. Oh, look, here's verse 17. And look at what this says. So how does the Holy Spirit speak? Well, first of all, He speaks with signs. Prophecy, visions, and dreams. I know some of you are like, it's about to get weird in here. I, I get it, I get it. All right, just hang on, hang on. Let's just look at the Bible. We're Bible people. Look at verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That was a big deal. Before, He, just, he poured His Spirit out on special people, prophets. They, they wrote books and they had books written about them in the Old Testament. Now he's saying everything that those prophets experienced, every believer is going to experience on all flesh. Now, by the way, do you, in your Bible, is verses 17 down through verse 21, are those like indented in your Bible? Yeah, you know why they do that? Because these are words that were actually taken from the Old Testament. This is actually the book of Joel. Peter is now preaching a message. Remember, he's preaching and everybody's hearing it in their own language. You're hearing it in English. Isn't that cool how that happens? And that's because somebody translated it. But uh, in, in everybody was standing around listening to this message and everybody heard in their language. Peter was an expository preacher. He took a passage of Scripture. He went verse by verse through the text. He explained it. He illustrated it. And he applied it. And that's what he's doing. He's like, here it is. What's happening to us is what was written about in the book of Joel. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Think about your son or your daughter. Impressive. I mean, in some ways, yeah, but prophecy? I mean, really? Ten-year-old kid, like prophesy? What does that mean? Remember what we learned about prophecy last week? We used that definition Sam Storms, Wayne Grudem have used. It's, it's great. It's, it's speaking forth in merely human words something God has spontaneously brought to mind. 
If the Holy Spirit dwells in your son or daughter, they should hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and at times speak what they have heard. It's not reserved for special people anymore. Your less than impressive kid can do it, apparently, according to these verses. Not only that, but so can your grandpa. Look at the next thing. It says, your, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So look at what we have. We have prophecy, visions, and dreams. Prophecy, I hear something prompted of God and I speak it. I, visions, I see something while I'm awake. Dreams, I see something while I'm asleep. How does the Holy Spirit speak? Well, He spoke through prophecy, visions, and dreams. Does that, I, I've never had like a revelatory vision. I, I don't know that I've had really impressive dreams before. But that's not to say that He couldn't speak. And some of you at some point may have heard God speak through prophecy, visions, and dreams, just like He did in the first century church. It goes on. It gets even weirder. Verse 18. Even on male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. It's like, man, this is crazy. Blood, fire, vapor, and smoke. Nobody's seen that recently, have you? Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Anybody seen anything about that lately? Anybody watching what's happening in Hawaii? What do you see? Um, fire, vapor, smoke. Could be a sign. Of what? Well, if you think about what you're seeing is like hell bubbling over. You don't want to go there. So if you, didn't, if you like don't want to be like sitting in that, you certainly don't want to be sitting in hell. That could be a sign to you. By the way, a sign. What, what's the deal with these signs? What, what's going on? Listen, the, the word sign is very sig significant. Get it? it, it when, when I, went to the, I went to the hardware store yesterday and uh, bought some paint and I paid for it with my credit card. Stuck my credit card in the machine, pulled it out. They still didn't give me my paint until they said, sign here. I'm like, you, why do you need my signature? Do, do you get it? It's the signature that authorizes the purchase. It's the signature that validates you were here. The signature, there's nothing special about the signature. The signature points to a person. The Holy Spirit signs his name sometimes with prophecies, visions, and dreams to authenticate he was here, his presence is real, and he's authorizing what he has said to be true. It's a sign. But so many people, they don't see these things as signs. They just focus on the sign. They just sit around and they read the sign. They just read the sign. But they never see where the sign is pointing to. Signs are meant to point you away from the sign. And that's what the Holy Spirit does through prophecy, visions, and dreams. You say, well, goodness, this, is it, does it really happen? Keep reading. It says in verse 20, the sun and it shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes at the great and magnificent day. Just checking. Has that happened yet? No. So when does this stuff happen? Sometime since the first Pentecost, 
and that great and magnificent day when Jesus comes back and sets all things right. So I'm, I'm thinking we're not there yet. So I'm thinking he can still do some of this stuff. Like, well, this is spooky. Does he speak any other way? Surely there's got to be a better way. Can I opt for a different way? All in favor of a different way for the Holy Spirit to speak? Okay, here's a different way for the Holy Spirit to speak. Let's see if you like this one any better. Persecution. Anybody want to go back to the signs? It's like if you had a choice between the prophecy, the vision, and the dream, or persecution, which of those two programs would you sign up for? Okay, so we get to Acts chapter 8, and this is what we read. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Does that sound familiar? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Where have we heard those words before? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Interesting, isn't it? We get to Acts 8, 1, and these knuckleheads are still in Jerusalem. They've already received power. They're supposed to go out and preach the gospel. They're, not, they're supposed to be in Judea and Samaria. And so since apparently they didn't hear him the first time, he spoke through persecution. He made their lives so unbearable in Jerusalem, they thought, I've got a great idea. Let's move to Judea. Let's move to Samaria. And what went with them? The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit spoke through persecution, difficult circumstances to get them to obey what he said to them way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Get it? If you won't do it voluntarily, the Holy Spirit will figure out a way to get you where he wants you to go. All in favor of the prophecies and the signs and the visions again. Yeah. So let's obey the first time so we maybe won't have to experience the difficulty. And yet God uses persecution to get us right where we need to go. Is there another way the Holy Spirit speaks? Yeah, we keep reading and we find out sometimes he speaks through an angel. Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. Can I just say this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I've kind of made this my life verse. Rise and go to the south. I am still waiting for an angel to appear and say, it is time for you to rise and go to the south. Unfortunately, the, the Lord has said to Andrea and I, rise and go to the north. So here we are and here this is where we're, we're planted, right? So uh, now listen, the, the idea here is that the, the Holy Spirit gives very specific direction at times. Like not north, not east, not west, south. And yet, sometimes he sends you north, east, or south, or west. The idea is this. Philip was being sent to a sinner who needed the gospel. It was the Ethiopian eunuch. There are Ethiopian eunuchs in the south, in the north, in the east, in the west. And the idea is this. You can't go wrong as long as you are going with the gospel. The Holy Spirit is on a mission. He wants you moving, and so He speaks. And if He's got to send an angel to do it, I guess that's one of the ways that He speaks. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, No! Stay here! Acts chapter 16. 
we read that they went through the region of Phrygia. That had to be a city in the north, don't you think? Phrygia? I mean, that's a, it had to be in the north. And Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit told him to go, but he wouldn't let them go to Phrygia or Galatia. He said, no, stay here. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. Do you ever have a desire to go somewhere else, be somewhere else? And the Holy Spirit just closed that door, not going there. What, why? Well, apparently the Holy Spirit has more work for you to do here. And you haven't learned every lesson that He wants you to learn here. So before you attempt to go there, if the Holy Spirit is shutting the door, receive it as a no. Stay here. Sometimes He says, go right there. In Acts chapter 16, in a vision, Peter saw in the night a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so, we're, you know what's interesting? We're never really told how this happens. Did, did he see writing in the sky? Was it, a, was it just an impression? Did he, did he have a feeling in his gut? Was there a peace in his spirit? Was there a check in his spirit? All the different terms that we use. We don't really know. We just know that they concluded God had called them. We continue. The Holy Spirit speaks through prayer. Acts chapter 10. Peter went up on a mount, on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So if you're having trouble hearing from God, just climb on top of your roof at noon. Back in the day, these were flat roofs. I wouldn't recommend that for you that have an incline to your roof. But it says he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they're preparing it, he fell into a trance. Really? A trance. And he saw the heavens opened, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Not one man, not two men, not two ladies, three men. He spoke very specifically. And yet, we don't really know how. We don't know what he saw. The Holy Spirit spoke. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through the consensus of leadership. Acts chapter 13 the church is having an elder meeting. There are five elders present, and as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. He told three of them to stay where they're at. He told two of them, I want you to go. And of course they did, and as a result of that, we have the New Testament because they went and the Lord continued to spread the gospel through those men. Here's another great verse. I love this part. Acts chapter 15. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the first elder meeting, and now they, the church is in. Now it's time to send more people with those two guys. But look at the phrase it begins with. It seemed good. No trance. 
no vision, no audible voice, no prophecy, no sign, no vision. It just seemed good. And it didn't just seem good to one person. It seemed good to the apostles. It seemed good to the elders. It seemed good to the whole church. Now listen, if it seems good to you to do something, you probably still need to wait till it seems good to the people that know you the best. The people that know you the best may say you're not ready. You're going to last about 36 hours and then you're going to skin your knee, come running home, sucking your thumb. You might want to wait until you've been better equipped, until you've got more maturity, until maybe you have better direction. And so this is the, the role of the church and the elders and the people that love you and know you the best. Wait for the consensus of leadership. Be humble enough to admit that you need the counsel of others in your life. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through constraint. Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem. Does that sound pretty confident to you? Going. He's trying to get there. He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit. This is a confident, urgent passion. He can't escape it. It's almost like he is shackled and the Holy Spirit is dragging him. He can do no other than to go to Jerusalem. Not knowing what happens to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me. The Holy Spirit talks to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, if the Holy Spirit was talking to you and said, if you go there, you're going to be put in prison and you're going to suffer much affliction. Would you see that as a red light or a green light? <laughs> you would see that as a red light. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is trying to warn me that there is a better life somewhere else. Paul saw that as a green light. He's like, well, in Paul's philosophy, if it was hard and difficult, it must have been from the Lord because it was going to require faith. And yet if it was easy, it's like, well, I don't want to do something easy people would like. I want to do something that's hard for the Lord. Do difficult things. And do you know that as he was imprisoned, what did he do when he was in prison? He just wrote the Bible. Are you glad he was imprisoned? Yeah, we're reading words because Paul was imprisoned. And we can know these things about the Holy Spirit, about the Lord, because he didn't run from hard things. Third question. How do we listen when the Spirit speaks? Now, let me say this again. Uh, we do not need to look at the Holy Spirit like a magic eight ball. I don't know about you, um, I was kind of taught, it wasn't really taught, it was just kind of implied that, you know, finding out what the Lord wants you to do is a really hard thing. I mean, it's not hard for the Lord. The, the Holy Spirit has this big giant map of your life, you know, up in heaven, and it's got every little detail, every little twist and turn you're supposed to be on, and that's what is called the perfect will of God. And and it's a really hard thing. I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal it very much. It's just like you kind of have to sneak around. You have to beg and plead with them. Just please show me. Please show me who I'm supposed to marry. Please show me where I'm supposed to go. And he never speaks. That's what we've been taught. That's not it. 
We've been taught that, you know, that's the perfect will of God, but we don't always get the perfect will of God because we're too stupid to figure it out. But there is the permissive will of God, and that's like, that's like detention for the kids that, you know, flunked out of the perfect will of God. And it's like, you, you, don't, you don't get expelled, but you get detention, and you can stay there for a while, and hopefully it'll work out for you, but it's just probably, you know, plan B or C or maybe even Z for them, so those of you that really are dense, right? That's kind of what I was taught. I was like, really? Is it really that hard? That is not what the scripture teaches about the leading of the Holy Spirit. God has given spiritual people incredible freedom to live their lives in spiritual ways. Within God's will, I can marry who I want. Within God's will, I can live where I want. Within God's will, I can work and do what I want. We may not always know exactly which way the Spirit's leading. And yet, if you are a Spirit-filled person, when you get to the end of your life at every fork you had in the road, you're going to look back and it's like, well, doggone it. He obviously led me there and he turned it this way. And what I thought was a difficulty and what I was actually trying to avoid, he used all of that to get me exactly where he wanted me to go. How many of you would give that testimony? It's like, I couldn't see it at the moment. I didn't know which way to turn. I just flipped a coin and went this way. The magic eight ball said to do this and I did it. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit used all of that. Now, some of you, I would say this, you have not lived your life in the will of the Lord because you have not been following God's written will in His Word. And you may be wondering, I am so far from God's path, I wonder if God could ever use me again. The next decision you make to either obey or disobey the Lord will determine whether or not you are living in the will of the Lord. And so choose to submit yourself to the will of the Lord. Let me give you eight things real quick. Next time you're facing a decision, how can I know what the Spirit's leading me to do? First of all, yield yourself to obey whatever the Holy Spirit says. Well, isn't that what you're trying to say? Yes, but here's what I'm trying to say. Why should the Holy Spirit speak to you if you haven't already determined you're going to say yes, whatever he says. If you're thinking, Lord, speak to me and then I'll pray about it. I'll, I'll go get some counsel. I'll weigh the, weigh the pros and the cons. He's not going to speak to you. He speaks to people who have yielded themselves to obey whatever he says. You sign your name at the bottom of a blank page and then he fills in the top. That's the way a Spirit-filled person lives his life. And uh, by the way, if the Spirit has already spoken to you about something that you have not obeyed, why in the world would you be expecting Him to tell you something else? You shouldn't expect the Spirit to say anything to you until you obeyed the last thing that He said. He's like, man, the Spirit's been really silent for a decade. Yeah, remember that thing He told you to do 10 years ago? You done that yet? You might want to check that one off before you ask for another assignment. Yield yourself to obey whatever he says. Empty yourself, empty your ears of other voices. I, I was talking with Pastor West this week, and I was like, do you know how many distractions we have that the apostles didn't have? How many screens are talking to you? 
how many things are in your ears, how little there is a quiet moment in your day. The Holy Spirit is speaking to many of you, but he's competing with your earphones, your iPods, your iPhones, your televisions, your sporting events, your books, and every other thing that is distracting you. Everything's competing for your ear. You find a quiet moment, take out the headphones, turn off the device, get alone with God. You'll be surprised at how loud the voice of the Spirit is in your life. Fill your mind with the written word of God. The Holy Spirit has already spoken. Holy men of old wrote down what he said and they contained it in a book. We call it our Bibles. You should not expect to hear the voice of the Spirit until you have saturated your mind with the written word of God. And once you have filled your mind with the written word of God, now you have given the Holy Spirit ammunition to shoot. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Holy Bible. Number four, eliminate sinful options. I mean, that, that will take care of about 90% of your need to make a decision. Just don't sin. Great command. And then ask for directions in prayer. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Listen to wise counsel. Again, God has surrounded you with people that love you and want the best for your life. And so the Holy Spirit often speaks through people that may not even be in tune with the Spirit, but He uses them to get a message to you. And then this, make a plan. You said, that's what I'm trying to do. If the Holy Spirit would speak, then I would make the plan. No, you have freedom to make plans, strategic plans, detailed plans. You say, well, I, I'm afraid I'll make a wrong plan. If you're making the wrong plan, the Holy Spirit will fix it. He will change it. But you cannot get caught up in analysis paralysis and just sit there and wait. I'm just waiting, just waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak. No, He wants you to move. He's already given you a command to go and make disciples. Are you doing that? So make a strategic plan about how you're going to spend your life to do that. He said, I, I might, that sounds risky. I don't know if I should do that. I might make a mistake. Paul didn't think it was risky. Now, think, I'm about to show you a verse. Paul had the gift of prophecy. I mean, Holy Spirit took him to heaven at some point and showed him all kinds of visions and revelations. And I want you to, I want you to notice how unspiritual his strategic plan looks in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. If... It seems advisable that I should go also. Now, first of all, what in the world are you starting a statement with the word if for? It doesn't sound like he's really confident he's got the right plan. And, and then he needs advice. It's got to be advisable. If it is advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. I intend to pass through Macedonia. He's not quite sure. And perhaps... How wishy-washy can you be, Paul? I mean, come on. Perhaps? Is that the best you can do? Perhaps I will stay with you. Or, oh, well, you got a plan B here. Or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. It's like, oh, I don't know. Today I might wake up and feel like going this way. And tomorrow I might feel like going that way. Just wherever I go. For I do not want, what are you talking about what you want for? 
Isn't this all about what God wants? For I want to see you just, I don't want to see you just in passing. I hope, oh, you have hopes. Are you sure those are sanctified, spirit-filled hopes? I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. There, we, there it is. And I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Well, how can you be so sure? Because there's an open door there. A wide open door for effectiveness has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Again, he's like, there's adversaries, got to be God's will right there. That's going after that. Make a strategic plan. Do you really think the, the 12 inches between your two ears is going to thwart the sovereign infinite purpose and plan of God for the universe. That somehow you're going to step outside of God's will and you're going to crash the whole sovereign plan of God. How arrogant to assume that. God has your will contained within His will. And so don't elevate the power of your mistake to somehow change God's plan for the universe. Enjoy your freedom. Psalm 37, God says, Dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and you will have an incredible freedom to see the Lord move in your life. Now, I want you to stand with me right now. We're out of time, but I do want to give you a moment just to respond to what the Spirit has said to you. I believe the Spirit of God has spoken if you have not yet surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, repent, believe the gospel, trust the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. The fire of God's wrath fell on Jesus so that you could experience the personal presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. What has the Holy Spirit said to you? Has He brought to mind a sin? Has He brought to mind a command? Has He brought to mind something He told you to do 10 years ago? Is there a name that comes to mind? Relationship that needs to be reconciled? Hebrews tells us today, if you hear His voice, do not Harden your heart. We have brothers and sisters at the front here that would love to pray for you. If there's a restlessness in your spirit about what to do next, if you need to give your heart to Christ, I want to encourage you even now just to slip out of your seat, come forward, have these counselors pray with you and encourage you. Holy Spirit, thank you for being our teacher this morning. I pray that you would speak more specifically than even I can speak here. God, I pray that you would trouble the soul of those that are living outside of your will and give a sense of peace to those who are. And God, more than anything, we offer ourselves, we yield ourselves to be used on the mission of the Spirit, which is to get the Great Commission done preach the gospel in every language to every person, every tribe and every tongue so that Jesus would receive glory from those that he's created. 
to be redeemed. We offer ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.